Listen Fast, Listen First delivers real-time, authentic stories told by successful Connecticut business owners and community leaders. You'll hear pivotal moments of risk-taking, failure, adaptability, and resilience that all lead to success. And now, the host of Listen Fast, Listen First, Alex Horton. Our next guest is Linda Cavanaugh, owner of MaxX Public Relations. She worked her way through an exciting hospitality world, including stints as a chef, bartender, and catering director, but then left the kitchen side of the business and transitioned into being a supporter of the industry, trading her apron in for the world of public relations and the almighty press release. Linda, Linda's first client in 1997 was South Norwalk's uber-popular Barcelona restaurant, it was their first restaurant in the company and her first PR client. The rest is history as Barcelona made it big and MaxX became the go-to firm for restaurants and chefs looking to make a name for themselves. Since then, MaxX has worked with over 300 Connecticut and New York restaurants and counting. Welcome to the show, Linda. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you're here. So take me back. Uh, how did you find the PR business, Linda? Well, you know, we never end up doing what we set out to. <laughs> right. I think that's first and foremost, and I know I'm not alone. Um, but I was originally in um, out of school. I was um, actually studying um, music, and um, I was performing and, you know, um, going to classes and auditioning, et cetera. And then what do you do when you are going to school um, to make money? You work in a restaurant. Right. So while I was working in the restaurant, I just got hooked. It's as simple as that. It was the energy and the vibe of the hospitality industry just just had me. Um, I do equate it a lot to you know my entertainment background because I think it's all about putting on a show. And so I think that um, again that high intensity, that adrenaline rush, you know, I, I kind of got that with the restaurant industry. Um, so much to my parents' chagrin, I dropped out of music school and ended up going to culinary school. Um, and from there, I worked my way through restaurants throughout Connecticut and uh, New York. That must have been hard. So your parents <laughs> allowed you to go to music school, right? And, uh, and then you dropped out of music school. Yeah. So what was that like? It, it, it wasn't a good conversation. You know, <laughs> I think it was, you know, 10 years of, you know, music lessons and traveling and auditioning and all the craziness that goes with it. And then just to do a complete, you know, complete turn. Um, but again, I think, you know, those are those years when you're, you know, you're figuring it out. Um, and so I just went on another path and I love the, the restaurant industry. I love chefing. I worked with some really influential people, um, in particular, um, chef Remy Gauthier, which obviously a lot of people know Remy. Um, but I did get burnout and that's another popular, um, kind of side of the, the industry is burnout. What, what so, causes the burnout? Is it the hours? Yeah. Is it the, yeah. I think it's a combination of, um, the, for me, it was the, the physicality of it. Um, people don't realize the intensity of working on your feet, um, working in a certain position for long periods of time. You know, from a physical standpoint, there's nothing healthy about it. It's, it's really tough on your body. Um, yeah, of course, the hours and, you know, your hours aren't your friends and family hours. And yeah, I mean, that's right. obvious. But for me, physically, it was just, you know, it was just wearing me down. And I knew I wouldn't be able to do it for very long, especially towards the end when I was with Remy, I was doing catering and catering throughout the city. You know, again, very exciting, a great lifestyle, um, amazing places that we would cater in. But it's, um, you know, it was more lugging stuff around than right. it was actually cooking, you know, yep. and that's when I realized, you know, this, I couldn't do it anymore. But, you know, unfortunately at that point, you know, 10 years later, it was kind of too late to go back into performing and the music industry and school, et cetera. Um, and then I had the good fortune of having a friend who was a publicist. And when I was 
you know, kind of lamenting over my life situation, um, he said, oh, I think he would be good at what I do. And, you know, at the time. So why did he say that? Well, yeah, right. Why did he say that? (laughs) I mean, you've got a great personality. I mean, that probably, I'm I'm assuming that that goes with the territory. But what what is it that he saw in you that made him believe that you'd be a great publicist? Right. So, yes, in addition to my stunning personality, um, (laughs) it was, um, he explained to me that the reason why he thought this might be a good fit is, um, my organizational skills and, um, you know, doing a lot of events. Um, there's a lot of that with PR and marketing, yep. et cetera. Um, I was always a good writer, um, and he knew that. And so he said, you know, as far as writing press releases and, and copy and et cetera. So I ended up working with his firm. His name is Gary Stromberg. He runs the Blackbird Group. Um, and I was really fortunate, again, to step into um, that situation and have somebody that was willing to, to mentor me. Um, and I loved it. We were working, it was primarily music promotion. We were working, you know, with the likes of, you know, Chuck Negron from Three Dog Night and John Kay from Steppenwolf. And, you know, I had such an experience with these guys and enjoyed every minute of it. But obviously, you know, my heart was in the food industry. Um, so we had the opportunity to, um, open what was then called the Motown Cafe. And basically was an offshoot of the Hard Rock Cafe. And it was actually even located uh, across the street from the Hard Rock Cafe in Manhattan. And he wasn't going to take the gig. He flat out said, you know, this is not our thing. Um, you know, we, we should pass on it. And I just, you know, stepped up and said, hey, this is my thing. So, you know, let's take it on. You know, let, let me manage it. You know, you watch over me. And that's what happened. I ended up taking the, the lead on the Motown Cafe PR project. Um, and, you know, I realized that combining the two was amazing for me. Um, and then he ever so gently after that project you know, kind of just said, I think you should do your own thing. You know, this firm is never going to be restaurant PR, but you seem to have found a niche. And he actually, you know, pushed me to, to start my own business. And um, one of the gals, again, here we have some, some good fortune. Well, one of the gals that worked in the office with me was the cousin of Andy Forsheimer, who many of you in the area know that Andy is the um, founder and partner in the Barcelona restaurant group. And so she said, hey, my cousin is starting this, this new restaurant concept. Um, and so she in- introduced us and, and with the, his partner, Sasha Marbatus. And uh, we all just kind of got together and said, OK, you know, we're all starting out here. This was their first restaurant concept. Um, and it was my first client on my own. And that's, wow. that's how it started. Yeah. And that, and that was the late 90s, right? That was 1997. 97. Yeah. And that down in South Norwalk. In South Norwalk, when South Norwalk yeah. was still kind of feeling its way. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. No, you've done an amazing job. Thank there. you. I mean, Barcelona is a, a great brand. And, you know, yeah. we, I've, uh, I, I think I've spent a few bucks at the, um, <laughs> between tapas and the bar and, and all that and, and bar taco. Right. And, right. You know, so yeah. I was with them for 12 years. Yeah. And so I was really lucky that I was part of, you know, when, when the Barcelona brand was growing, but I was also part of when the first bar taco came about, which we opened in Portchester. Mm-hmm. Um, I was there for the launch of the cookbook. Um, and it was shortly after the cookbook that um, they went into another um, business situation, a financial, you know, financial company um, partnering with them or rather taking it over. Um, and at that time, you know, then it was all going to be in-house. But, you know, by then my company was off and running. There was no way I could work in-house for a single, you know, a single right. brand. Right. Um, so, you know, the, again, it was just it was just time, you know, to, to kind of part ways. But, 
you know, it, that's the foundation of, of where it started. And I always, you know, I'm very, very proud of it. And I'm also just, you know, I know, again, how fortunate I am to have those guys um, kind of steer me in this direction. Right. And, and since then, you've worked with several hundred uh, restaurants and other yeah. other businesses. Tell me about your business, Mac, Max, uh, Max, Max X. X. Yeah. So it was public a, relations. It was an offshoot of, of, of maximum exposure. Um, okay. but yep. then, but then everyone thought we were like a camera shop and then some other companies use maximum exposure. So I was like, you know what? We're Max X. Yep. <laughs> um, but my company originally was just straight PR. Okay. When there was straight PR, when it was about the press release and working, you know, with media, right. Um, the way I do my job today is completely different. You know, I still work with media. I still write a mean press release. Um, but now there's just so many more layers that come into, you know, our digital world and our social media world and our marketing world. And, um, it is a very different way. Um, you know, back then I was a one woman show. Um, there's no way I can be a one woman show now. Um, so it just, you know, it, it was, if I was going to be successful, I just had a role with the industry and it, not just role with the restaurant industry, but I had a role with the PR and marketing industry. And, you know, as of late, the social media industry. Is that the biggest change, the social media? And is that the, the need for more staff and you can't just rely yeah. on yourself? Yeah. yeah, a lot of it is content. So a lot of it is, you know, great photography and videos. And, you know, it's not a point and post um, platform, which, you know, would... Every, you know, a general consumer does it as a point and post, but even some businesses just think, you know, you post it and, and that's all there is to it, but that's not how you grow it. It's really very intricate. I call it like a dance, you know, it's this right. very intricate dance on the background, in the background. And, you know, my staff is just, well, first of all, they're all way younger than me and because <laughs> they speak the speak and walk the walk. Okay. Um, and, you know, they've grown up with it and, you know, they've taught me so much and, you know, all of us still continue to be educated to it because all the platforms keep changing. Um, and so it's kind of hard to keep up on sometimes, but um, you have to utilize, you know, all the different components. Um, there, there's components out there that people don't even realize that are available to them. That's just part of the you know, Facebook, how many layers there's, there's right. to it and Instagram and people just don't realize, you know, that you can get so much more out of it. And again, going back to that point in post, um, it's just so much more than that. And so do you feel like social media is kind of replaced the, the, the big event that uh, you would typically publicize or is it a combination? Is it both? What does that look like today? Yeah, it does need to be everything. Yeah. Um, we used to create, I remember, gosh, we used to create campaigns and, you know, your campaign is just like any business proposal, you know, it's broken up into various components. And there's sometimes when you're negotiating, you know, you, you may have the client say, well, you know, I want to do A, B, C, D, E, but maybe not the other things, you know, it's not like that anymore. When I write a campaign, it's, it is an all or nothing now because everything has to work together. And again, we go back to this dance, you know, right. um, press releases are still valid and um, major media platforms still use them. Um, professional photo shoots, you know, I get placement a lot of times quicker, you know, than other firms. And it, it could be quite simply because, you know, media knows that I have amazing photography and whether you think it's unethical and not fair and everything that goes with it, it's just the nature of the beast. You know, I will get placement because I know what they need and I will facilitate it. And I have to make, you know, just everything just foolproof. And, you know, that's, that's a big, big part of it. Um, I think without, um, you know, major media, you know, the social media, as much as it can ride on its own, it still needs credibility and not that social media doesn't have credibility. And, and we will definitely talk about that, but, you know, still 
publications hold, have value. I don't care what anyone says. Everybody's like, oh, you know, there's not going to be print in, you know, in the future. Well, you know, I call bull on that. I think right. I think we'll yeah. always have print, and I think there's always a need for it, and I think the talent will always be there. You know, is it different now? Yeah, of course it is. Is advertising different? The advertising dollars, of course it is. You know, do they have to have, you know, added incentives, you know, to come on board as an advertiser? Yeah, they do. You know, they need to also offer digital, and they need to also offer social media. So I think as long as media can keep up, on what social media is doing, I think they both can play nicely in the sandbox. And I also think any small business needs needs both both of them. So do you find right? And I, I couldn't agree more. I'm I'm in a business where it's it's you know everybody is pressuring uh, us to put out more video content, but uh, the written word will always be important. Yeah. I mean, it, it's the contracts. It's 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 everything. You know. So I couldn't agree more. Um, question for you. I have a million questions for you, but I'll try and condense them. So if I'm a, what I see in the restaurant industry and correct me if I'm wrong, a chef will become very successful. He doesn't necessarily, or she doesn't necessarily own the business, but wants to branch out by themselves and has a, has a great concept, wants to go into business. All they've, now they may or may not have um, experience running a business, but mm-hmm. certainly chefing. Tell me about some of those challenges, some of the success stories and, and some of the not so success stories and how do you help in, the, in these cases? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. Um, there's definitely, we all have a left and right side of our brain. And there, one is creative and the other one's, t- you know, more technical. Right. And um, that's what we're dealing with here. And most chefs and restaurateurs, you know, they're, they're more about the show. So again, we go back to my performance background and it's somebody that's front of the house and performing and, and they know every hack and, you know, tip and trick to do that. And then there's this whole back end that everyone that's running the lighting and everyone that has the staging and everyone that's bringing in the audience, it's the same thing. And, you know, they, it's, it's, it's very rare when you have someone that, you know, can do both sides of it, you know, but the beauty of this industry is that, you know, that's why we call it front and back of the house. And it's really important, just like I do with my company, is to surround yourself with the right team. But as an owner or as a chef, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to kind of give that up. You know, they want to be, they want to do everything. And it's just, you know, it's just a human impossibility. And it's been seen, you know, through, through and through. Um, you also have the other side of the industry where you have people that are the owners that may just be investors. Um, and again, they look at it and it looks fun right? It looks exciting and they want to invest in it. You know, maybe it's their social playground. You know, I don't know what reasons they would have for investing in a restaurant. They're crazy. Um, but you know, then you have input from someone that has, you know, no business having input in, into the restaurant industry. It doesn't run like other industries, you know? So you, you, you're investing in something that you don't really know the, 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 you know, the, the finer details of, you know, it's, it's an industry that runs on really small margins. It's an industry that flies by the seat of its pants. Um, it's, it's an industry that's the most scrutinized, you know, and yet it's, you know, dining out is the number one recreational activity in the United States. Um, and it's that ranking has held for the last eight years. Um, it is considered a recreational activity and, uh, I think it'll stay number one for a long time. So our role is is kind of twofold you know our role is to yes to do the fun stuff and promote them and put them out there and keep them in eye shot and keep them in ear shot make sure that they're always staying relevant make sure visually you know that they're coming across in such a way that's staying true to their concept you know and then our other responsibilities to make sure on the back end that all of their platforms are in place um you know people don't realize what goes into you know promoting and, and again this can apply to any small business 
but you do have to have a foundation laid. And again, you know, your digital platforms, your Google business, you know, your websites, you know, a, a live data website compared to a static website, you know, live data is searchable, static is not, you know. And again, we don't expect a restaurateur to know these technical things, right. you know, but it's a matter of, you know, hiring the right people and, you know, everything from your POS to your online ordering, you know, and then again, we can go into the fun stuff, which is the social media and, and, and whatnot, um, your print materials, you know, so that's when we started working um, with other vendors and services that specialize in our industry, because we knew we needed to bring in, you know, the right people to make sure that we were, you know, creating a proper foundation for our clients. Um, and so that's when nine years ago, we created the New England Culinary Group. So basically, the New England Culinary Group consists of people like me, they offer a product and a service that assists small businesses. In our case, it's the hospitality industry. So in the New England Culinary Group, we have everybody from the POS guy to the paycheck guy to, you know, online ordering platforms to the food purveyor and the wine distributor, et cetera. And it's, it's a group of individuals that come together to basically, um, you know, build for lack of a better word, restaurants for people. Um, so we offer support with going back to the front and back of the house. Got it. Got it. So what's the, when you're thinking about uh, the, the small business um, or the restaurant owner who, who came out of the, um, the space of being an employee and then transitioned into being an owner, what's the tip, what's the biggest pain that they have and what's the biggest need that you fulfill? transitioning from yeah transitioning so in other words somebody says hey i need to build this restaurant mm -hmm. and i know i need help yeah you know? um what's the what's the typical skill set that they might not possess that maybe you could help them with it's definitely marketing yeah. Mar marketing is its own unique little nugget in in any industry and you know, and, and it's an industry that you have to keep so on, so on top of because it's always changing. And, you know, a lot of the marketing and PR, it's all about relationships. You know, we're, we've been doing this for so long, so we just know everybody. I know that's a very broad, you know, statement to make, but, but we do, you know, we're in contact with the media and we're in contact with the influencers, with, you know, the sales reps. We're in contact with people who produce events in the area. We're in contact with target markets, whether they be, you know, professional organizations and networking groups to charities and gosh, everything from, you know, mommy groups, you know, who's like our number one um, consumer um, target market. Right. So you're you connected, know? you're connected with everybody. And you mentioned influencers. So are yeah. you considered an influencer? Tell me what an influencer is. Yeah. So an, an influencer and, and the most fabulous way of, um, of explaining this is basically someone who people look to or follow or read um, their, not their opinion, that's not it. They're just basically information. It's another information highway. And influencers, and especially in the food world, they've been able to create a following that has a like-minded interest. So again, it can, you know, influencers, you know, they always think of food influencers, but there's all sorts of influencers in certain topics. Um, but they typically have a pretty strong social media following. And there's a reason why they have that following. You know, hopefully they're not just buying followers like many of them do. And you can tell if they have an organic following or not. Um, but usually these influencers um, are genuinely supportive of, of businesses. You know, they genuinely want their food to look great and they want to promote whatever they're doing. Um, they're genuinely, you know, interested in the people behind it. And so, uh, you know, a, a reputable influencer is... 
you know, and again, I hate to say it in this way, but they are for us just as, you know, integral to the marketing, um, you know, program as, as mainstream media. And then that, that's where that, that kind of tug of war started with between mainstream media and influencers because they influencers were taking some of the pie away from mainstream media. We've come a long way since, and now everybody, again, you know, can, can work together. And now media knows that they have to have social media and have to have their own influencers. And some influencers have turned their platforms into mainstream media, viable, you know, um, uh, you know, valuable platforms and some of them are, are making money on it. So, uh, so I would imagine that you have a kind of a, a go-to list of uh, yeah. influencers here. In, that uh, database is strong. We keep track of, of, um, of you know, we keep track of their reach and their followers, their focus, et cetera. Um, we, you know, we keep media trackers for all of our clients. There's, there's everything that, that transpires out of a campaign with our clients. We have records of and we do reports of and that goes, you know, for the influencers. Um, and don't get me wrong, you know, that changes sometimes too. There's some influencers that may have a huge following, um, but we don't feel the content's great or the, you know, the photography's great and it doesn't make our client look great and we wouldn't share, share a post. So if that's the case, you know, we kind of put them on, a, on another, another tab on, on that list. But we, we keep very close tabs on, on our influencers. And we do have influencers reaching out to us saying, you know, hey, how do we get on that Max X list? You know, Got it. and, and we, we tell them outright how, how they get on that list. We tell them outright, you know, what, what our priorities are and, and some of the, you know, the parameters that they need to follow. Great. Well, that's good education on the, the concept of influencers. Yeah. I have a 14-year-old son and a 16-year-old daughter, and most of my education comes from them at this point. Hey, so, listen, uh, this is the best way. Like I said, my, my, my team is much younger than me, and that's purposeful. <laughs> You're not kidding. It's a different <laughs> language altogether. Yeah. Um, so, um, cool. I appreciate that uh, advice and that information. So tell me about what's going on in, in Norwalk. And uh, I know you're involved in um, helping uh, kind of uh, build up some of these local businesses. Right? Yeah. So the, the Norwalk project was, you know, something that we would have never thought that we would we would pursue. But it, the opportunity, you know, presented itself and we decided to go for it. Um, but three and a half years ago, the parking authority in Norwalk basically said, hey, we have this, these marketing dollars. We have this budget. We have to spend it. Um, we're not, we're not going to spend it on, you know, advertising, but let's spend it on something that actually helps us meeting the, the parking authority. And what helps them is, is supporting small businesses. Um, and so we created for the parking authority, we created what was then called Norwalk Now. Right. And it was quite simply just a marketing arm for small businesses, you know, the website and social media and some events, et cetera. And small businesses would, would come on board almost like a member, you know, it, mm -hmm. it was free, but, you know, they came on board and we created these, you know, these beautiful resources and whatnot. And consumers, you know, had a go-to place for Norwalk because believe it or not, the city didn't have, you know, a website that was just for visiting Norwalk. Mm. It, it was just never created. And, you know, most, most cities have that. And, you know, Norwalk is a, is a coastal community, you know, and, and travel and tourism is, is a big thing there. But for whatever reason, it wasn't in place. And so we put Norwalk now in place. Um, and at the end, end of the three years, um, the funds were being transitioned to travel and tourism um, right when the pandemic hit. So it was a challenge that, you know, I chose not to take on travel and tourism during a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's a smart business move, I think. Um, but what I didn't want to give up was the foundation that we had created for all the small business support and the following that we have, you know, from a consumer standpoint, you know, with over 20,000 on social and, 
you know, great email marketing. And it's just like, I'm not giving this up, you know? So we rebranded as the best of Norwalk and basically the best of Norwalk, you know, functions the same way. Um, but now we're taking it to, to the next level. We're actually creating the best of Norwalk mobile app. And we partnered with a company. And again, here we go with Linda Cavanaugh and her good luck. But we ended up uh, teaming up with a company called Best of Ventures. Um, okay. They basically create best of cities um, throughout the world. Um, and so the Best of Norwalk is having the mobile app created through Best of Ventures. And so now we have a, a, a business partner. Um, so within the next month, we're going to be launching that. And the mobile app is interesting because it adds an element of having instant gratification. So instant gratification means on the, on the mobile app, having the ability to perform transactions. Okay. So it's not just like, you know, going to a website and, you know, you just, you know, click for, you know, uh, whatever information you want, you know, right on the mobile app, you can order, you can make an appointment if it's a, sal- a salon, let's say. Right. So it's not um, just restaurants or, you know, no, you've it's got small businesses, right. you know, rec- recreations. Yeah. Yeah. Community yep. stuff. Um, and then there's a separate component to the mobile app. Cause again, you have to monetize it. It is, it is a business. Sure. So the monetization part of the mobile app is, um, listings and advertising for professional services. Okay. Yeah. So we'll be able to, you know, give attention to, you know, the lawyers and the doctors and the financial institutions and the contractors and, you know, all the professional services. And the insurance guys like And the insurance guys like you. Um, But on the front end is, you know, more of the lifestyle, the recreation, the dining, et cetera. So it's a nice, it's a nice balance with it. You know, the mobile world is, is, is new to me. So I'm just super lucky um, to be able to partner, you know, with Best of Ventures to pursue our Best of Norwalk. Sounds cool. Yeah, it is. Sounds cool. Yeah, you know, as I, um, you know, kind of get older in this business, I've been doing this for 20-something years, um, some of the best uh, clients that I've gotten, you know, they weren't through a cold call, they were through a network, you know, uh, like you're referring to, and and that's really changed. I mean, the, the business obviously has changed drastically. And um, so I, I could see a, a great value in that. So well, uh, shout out to Best of Norwalk. Thank you. Um, one thing you mentioned too was uh, the, the, I just wanted to touch on the pandemic. And um, you were obviously uh, ground zero for helping these restaurants kind of yeah. get through. But talk to me just a bit about the, the, the businesses that got through and the businesses that didn't get through. What was the difference? Yeah. The biggest difference was preparedness. Um, and so preparedness for us is back of the house. So the preparedness was, you know, transitioning from there's no more dine-in. So we're concentrating on takeout. Yeah. Now you would think takeout, you know, we think of takeout as you just make a phone call or, you know, uh, go on to Grubhub or whatever the case may be. That's how the consumer views takeout. But you're not realizing on the back end, you know, all the platforms and information and, and the changes you need, you know, you have to pivot. To, to that. Right. And most of the restaurants, especially if they were, you know, a mainstream, let's say higher end restaurant, none of that infrastructure was in place because it's, it's not what they do. Um, the more casual restaurants and, and the pizza joints and, and, and whatnot, you know, they had, they had that already. Um, so it, it was funny to see, you know, what's perceived as the most successful or popular restaurants. They were the ones struggling the most. <laughs> and, then, and then like the little guys, you know, the, the mainstream guys and they're plugging away. Um, and, and they did pretty good during the pandemic because they had all the, that back of the house, you know, in, in place, they had their online ordering platforms. Their menus were meant for takeout. You know, we have restaurants that, you know, a lot of those menus, that's not meant to be brought home, you know? And right. so these guys found themselves having to, you know, re- redo their menus and, 
you know, getting in touch with companies that that do the online, you know, the portals we call them, the, the purchasing portals, and 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 that's that's a process that doesn't you know happen right away. So a lot of these guys, you know, got got caught you know, with their pants down. Um, and I think there was, you know, there was, they were angry, you know, we keep, we laugh about it now. It wasn't funny then, but right. you know, th- these restaurateurs were angry, you know, and, and, and they were, they were going on, you know, the news and they were just angry and, and, and the consumers didn't want to patronize those restaurateurs because they were just angry. Um, you know, the consumers wanted to su- support people that they felt like, okay, they're in there with us, you know, and yeah. we're all in this together. And I, and I believe in that mantra, you know, so it was interesting to see how, how they fared. Um, and I think, you know, if you already didn't have marketing in place, you know, let's say a newsletter, and so you didn't have an email database, well, you know, how do you communicate with, with your consumers, you know, and right. it was, and it was a lot of those higher end restaurants that did not have that in place. Um, so the rest the restaurants, like all our clients, you know, we do email marketing, we believe in it, we do text marketing, we believe in all that we believe in all platforms. So we, you know, we were lucky with our clients, but most of what we were getting were people that were not our clients you know, basically saying, holy cow, you know, we're not prepared for this. And, you know, the media had more important things, to be honest, had more important things to do at the time. And they were not, you know, paying attention to, to that part of things. So we relied on our influencers. And, um, you know, if you already didn't, you know, have a way to reach out to them or didn't have a relationship with them, you know, you were kind of screwed. Um, and, you know, and throughout the pandemic, we were always posting thank yous to our influencers just because we wanted to make them, you know, know that, you know, we appreciate them and we needed them during the pandemic and, and we still need them. Um, but they they really rallied for us. They they knew that the restaurants needed support and they were there to lend it. Um, so I just found it, you know, I was I was very proud of you know my company and my team because our restaurants had an infrastructure in place. And it really reinforced that what we were doing is, you know, we were doing it well and, and it was important. And then, you know, just the people that were reaching out to us that weren't our clients, it was it was kind of nice just to be able to explain to them how it works and, you know, get them connected with the right people, um, you know, just get them, you know, off and running. Um, you know, it was really why, why we were there. Um, you know, there were restaurants that couldn't even apply for their PPP. You know, because they didn't have, you know, they're not working off of QuickBooks. And oh, right, you know, yeah. their, their accounting yeah. is not what, you know, yeah. how we would do our accounting. You yeah. know, some, some of these restaurateurs are really old school. Yep. You know, some of them still work off a cash register, you know. And so it came time to do PPP and, and the amount of paperwork and reports that have to go into that. They weren't prepared for that. You know, yeah. so it was it was really it was a, it was a wake up call in so many different ways. And, and hopefully now, you know, restaurants, you know, don't take their influencers for granted, you know, and hopefully they, you know, they, they spend the time and spend a little money and get that back end, you know, infrastructure right. in place, get those platforms in place, talk to the right people, because um, you just never know. You know, it's a very it, it was always a volatile in industry. You know, and then I guess it took the pandemic to really kind of, you know, wake everybody up to it because it can happen for multiple reasons, you know. And then, I mean, there are a couple PR nightmares with the GoFundMe, but that's a whole other conversation. (laughs) But, you know, most people that did a GoFundMe, that didn't come across very well. You know, that was not well received. And, you know, and I had restaurants calling me saying, oh, my gosh, I'm getting bashed because I put out a GoFundMe. And I said, yeah, because you're putting out a hand when everybody else is also putting out a hand. It just wasn't the right time to ask people to support your staff. You know, so that there there was some 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 repercussions, you know, for, for that. And a lot of them realized that and took down the GoFundMe pages. Um, interesting. Really yeah. interesting. Yeah. You know, I and I know. Listen, if you look for the negatives and things, you'll find the negatives. Yeah. You look for the positives, you'll find the positive. There are a lot of positive redeeming qualities here in Connecticut. No, no question. Yeah. And food. Uh, pizza, restaurants. I mean, we really have it good here. And it kills me every time one of these 
guys or gals goes out to go goes out of business. Yeah. Um, and I know they put their 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 heart and soul into it, and you know their retirement. Everything is based on building this restaurant, and yeah. to come see it crashing down is just it's a killer. You know. Yeah, and, restaurants are are a passion project, yeah. and it's only that we we use that term a lot, but that's what a restaurant is. Yeah. Um, and they are a small independent business, and you know there's no you know no one's matching their four hundred one k and you know right. you know that's they right. they live you know just you know cover to cover we call it so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no question. Oh, good stuff. I really appreciate um, all of your insights. So I, I have a, um, uh, a section of this uh, podcast called Rapid Connecticut Rapid Fire Questions. Cool. It's really easy. And, and <laughs> it, it might not be so easy for you because the first question, you might have a hard time being um, subjective here. Uh, what's your favorite pizza in Connecticut? I like any pizza joint that Bruno De Fabio owns. <laughs> Bruno De Fa- so so name one or two for us. Um, Amore and Stanford. Amore and Stanford. Yeah. Shout out to Amore yeah. and Stanford. Give me <laughs> so, another one. Um, so he does um, uh, Union Square Pizza and Orange. Okay. Um, he's he's considered the Lord of the Pies. <laughs> nice. All right. Good. Yeah, his pizza is just spot on, and he does multiple types. And I wrote an article about him called Doughboy. Because he does multiple types of doughs, and there's such a science to it. He's so passionate about it, and his pizza is just amazing. Mm, all right. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get those shout-outs on, online. And, great. And uh, that's great. And that's unique because uh, I think we've had uh, in this series seven or eight guests so far. And and, um, and so and everybody's had a unique take on pizza. And it hasn't yeah. been the, the old New Haven ones, you know, the Sally's and the Peppies. It's been mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the local ones. So. We really are spoiled with great, great pizza. No hey, question. listen, and you got this from an Italian from Brooklyn. So, uh, hey, you, you know, right, this right. is the real deal here. <laughs> nice, nice. All right. So next question. Are you a coffee person or I see a cup of Starbucks <laughs> sitting there? Are you, you? So you are a coffee person. I'm a right? coffee person. All right. So so Starbucks, your go to um, Starbucks. And you know what? Coffee's really, really good. Mm. McDonald's. I love McDonald's. McCafe. I know. I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> it's good stuff. You know, it's funny. I like McDonald's. I like Cumberland Farms. I yeah. like, you know, so as far as the change, but there are a lot of good, you know, small coffee places. My go-to in Westport was Khaleesi's because um, I'd, I'd take my growing football son, you know, yeah. there and he'd get the double egg and cheese and, you know, we have a really good coffee there, but. Um, a lot of great places. Yeah, we're lucky. And then, um, you know, we've got about 150 micro brews in Connecticut and growing. I mean, it, it's it's going bananas. The craft beer world? Yeah, craft beer. So do you have a, a favorite yeah. or a favorite bar or favorite place you're going to go, um, you know? Yeah, you know, gosh, I love I love dive bars. Yeah, I love those places where, you know, I can go in my workout clothes if, if I had to. Right. I don't say I do that, um, but yeah, I just like you know it's funny that and I love my dive bars and and they used to just do the very commercial brands, but now even the dive bars you know are you know partnering with Two Roads and and some of these like New England craft brew you know and it just goes to show you like where the industry's going and even these guys are, are realizing that 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 they need to keep up you know. Yeah. But yeah, I love I love Ernie's and Darianne and just you know it's like walking into a Cheers, you know. <laughs> I like that. Do they say Linda when you walk in, or is, yeah, you they don't call, get the same norm thing? No, they call me the food chick. The f- <laughs> There's a the food chick. <laughs> right, they're they're blessed with your presence, right? So, uh, it's good stuff. Good stuff. Well, I you know uh, final question, uh, and again, it's about supporting community. Yeah. Uh, we interview a lot of nonprofit executives. Um, 
But if you're in a giving mood, you're cleaning out your closet, you're going through your shoes, you're going through your clothes, what, whatever it is, what charity comes to mind or what nonprofit organization do you, do you support? Um, community Plates. Um, they happen to be based in, in Norwalk, but I got yeah. involved with them quite some time ago. Um, I was always an SOS girl, uh, share our strength. Um, and again, that was to, uh, you know, to aid in, in, in hunger relief. So I always believed in that because I always felt like I was in such this indulgent industry, you know, where, you know, on a day-to-day basis, you know, what do we say when, when we're thinking about eating? It's like, what are we going to eat, right? That's the, like, yeah. what are we going to eat? And and, the, and just the, the fact, there's just the idea that someone can say, are we going to eat? Right. You know, it just, just, just goes to the, to my soul. So I, you know, I was a huge share our strength girl for a number of years, you know, with taste of the nation and all those great events. Um, and then I was introduced to community plates and Kevin Mullins. And, um, I think what they do is amazing, which is food rescue, because that's about the wasted food, um, that doesn't need to be wasted. And it just made sense from, you know, it's not just the restaurants that, you know, we're, we're throwing away food at the end of the night, but, you know, markets, you know, I think one of, one of community plates, you know, biggest pickup points is Trader Joe's. Right. You know, and, and I remember a chef saying that, you know, and he held up a pepper and he said, you know, this pepper is not beautiful and we can't sell it. But he says, if I do something with it, you'd never know that it wasn't pretty. Right. And again, it's just those things that, that stick with me. And so, um, yeah, community plates, I think does an amazing job with food rescue and then getting it to the right people. Well, you just gave them some uh, community plates, some good PR. You're an excellent, excellent salesperson. (laughs) Um, well, I, I really enjoyed our, our time together. Um, I, you know, uh, how, tell our audience how you can be reached, Linda. Um, so it's Max X Public Relations and online, it's just simply Max XPR, M-A-X-E-X-P-R.com. And, uh, same thing for social media. You can follow us at Max XPR. Awesome. Awesome. And, uh, and again, um, the, uh, the Norwalk project that you're working on. Um, best of Norwalk. Best of Norwalk. Right. Uh, pay attention to that as well. Thanks to our, our listeners. Really appreciate it. Thanks to our uh, sponsors, Infinite Web Designs, Papa's uh, Commercial Photography, and, of course, BRBG Insurance. Uh, please like, share, subscribe, um, all that stuff that you're supposed to do on these podcasts. But uh, I want to thank you, Linda, and appreciate your time. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. All right. Thanks for coming.